When tragedies happen in our communities, sometimes there is a religious dimension, sometimes racial or ethnic. And the question is, how do we deal with these events from a faith perspective? I'll be talking with Imam Omar Suleiman, a Muslim faith leader here in Dallas and my friend on Good God. Stay tuned. Welcome to Good God, conversations that matter about faith and public life. I'm your host, George Mason, and I'm pleased to welcome back to the program today, Imam Omar Suleiman, my good friend and colleague here in Dallas. Uh, he is a Muslim Imam, uh, a leader of prayer. That really is uh, the title more than uh, a clergy title, wouldn't you say? How, yes. would you, how would you describe what an Imam is? Uh, well, if I describe myself as an imam versus ah, okay, <laughs> all right. So, no, an imam definitely means a prayer leader. Uh, yes. So, whoever is leading the prayer, but it, but it, it contains concept of leadership. So, leadership in, in many capacities. Very good. It depends on the culture. Depends on the context. I understand. Well, in our context and in our community, you are a leader, and one that we. Um, respect Thank you. and turn to repeatedly, Likewise. one who has um, been a both a, a seeker of justice and a pursuer of peace in our community. And um, my personal gratitude is to you for uh, the way uh, we have found um, not only friendship but common cause uh, in working together Thank in you. Dallas through Faith Forward Dallas at Thanksgiving Square. Uh, this is an organization that was formed uh, in the wake of the uh, shootings of the Dallas police officers. Actually, you started before then, before that, yes. um, but, um, but, but I think m most people's attention was focused on uh, Faith Forward at that point because you and Reverend Michael uh, Waters and Rabbi Nancy Caston formed the co-chairs of right. that group for right. three years. I've succeeded you in that particular role now, but we continue You're to work a much together. Better job than well, was, well, I, you know, I, I, I wouldn't say that. You, you all set the tone, and I'm just trying to uh, uh, organize the next generation of it. You might we're, say, but we're, uh, we're blessed by you. Well, we're thank by you, your presence, and all that you've done for decades here. But it's really important, I think, for us to acknowledge that we have now a growing pluralism in America. Yes, Dallas is. Uh, people refer to it as the buckle of the Bible Belt, mm -hmm. right? And when they say that, what they mean by that tends to be conservative white evangelical Christianity. Uh, to a certain extent, they might even mean more specifically Baptist uh, or Methodist. Baptist and Methodist dominating that um, that that landscape for a long time. But we have now a, a, a growing sense that. Uh, America is looking more like the world, uh, and we are uh, finding that our neighbors are not of the same faith, let alone denomination, uh, as as they used to be. I like to joke almost that you know, uh, three generations ago, Omar, uh, to to have an interfaith marriage meant that you know Baptists were marrying Methodists, right. you know, <laughs> and and then it became Protestants marrying Catholics, right. and now it's Christians marrying people of other faith traditions, you right. know, and so we really have moved into a much more pluralist environment. And what are your reflections about this development and how Dallas is changing, mm. America is changing, as we are are finding that we can. Uh, we can see one another and understand ourselves better because of these interactions. 
Well, uh, there, there's certainly a lot of hope. Um, I think that what we are doing is pioneering work, not just for America, but for the world. Mm -hmm. The relationships that we have formed here, the genuine relationships that we've form formed here, um, because interfaith is usually, you know, sort of, it's, it's very much so limited to dialogue. Mm -hmm. uh, it is, uh, you know, the, the, some one of my congregants referred to it as it used to be a gathering of the elite, so it's sort of like a bunch of pastors that are right. talking to each other every once in a while, or pastors, imams, rabbis, but never really trickled into the communities. And there wasn't much relationship. Most faith mm -hmm. leaders see each other when they get to the panel. Yes. Uh, whereas with us, you know, we're, we're, we're truly becoming family. We are family. You're, you're family to me. And, and, and Well, and I thank <laughs> you, and I think people should understand that we – we text one another frequently, right. and when something happens in our communities, and when I say communities, I don't just mean here in Dallas, but right. when, you know, w when the shooting happened in the synagogue in, in Pittsburgh, you were the first one, uh, from what I understand, to have contacted some of our rabbi friends here in Dallas. And likewise, when uh, the, uh, the terrible murder happened in New Zealand, uh, right. the, the the terrorist attack on uh, the, the mosque there, uh, you heard similarly from Christians and, and rabbis who you immediately were, you were communicated. You were one of the first, and, and right. you, you came to the press conference that morning when I was still in a mm -hmm. very bad state. You consoled yeah. me when I cried that morning, yeah. and yeah. Uh, you consoled our community when we all came together. And if you remember when we came together that night in the mosque, mm -hmm. um, you know, where the mayor of Dallas, the mayor of Richardson, Congressman Allred came, Congresswoman mm -hmm. Johnson sent her representative, and we had our faith leaders. There was a, a, a round of applause when we introduced Faith Forward Dallas right, and right. said, these are my people, right? because the community felt its genuine nature. Right. So Dallas, you know, we lead the country in many negative aspects. We yes. lead the country in racialized poverty. South yes. and North Dallas are very different, as we know. Mm -hmm. uh, we have many hate groups in Texas. The largest concentration of hate groups in any place in America is here in Texas. Right. But that has forced us in a very special way out of our complacency to rise to that challenge. Right. And I think that what we're doing here does not just have the capacity to transform Dallas mm -hmm. or America. It really has the capacity to transform the world, especially with social media. This show right now is going to be watched by someone in Pakistan, in right. Nigeria, right. <laughs> you know, and, and that's right. the, the, the beauty of this this growing um, ability to reach the world. Since so many people have used online to reach uh, people in a way that would split them up in right. their real lives, right. Right. we need to use our online presence to bring people back together and to show right. people the potential of unity. Uh, and if we can do it here in Dallas, you can do it anywhere. And we are working on it. And, yeah. and we've had, unfortunately, we've had some very significant events take place in Dallas. Right. when. It, it gave us opportunity to practice what we preach in Correct. our relationships. Now, I think one of the beautiful things, of course, is that when you have existing relationships of trust, then when crisis happens, you can depend upon one another. Okay. But when crisis happens, you need to show up yes. and you need to speak up and stand up and all those sorts of things, or all the other relationship uh, moments are really platitudes and. And, and don't have substance to them. But what Absolutely. are some of these events that you would chronicle where you've mm. seen how we have been able to model that going forward in, in, in creating a more just and peaceful society? Well, I mean, I take it back to um, Charleston 
right? Yes. And when the AME church shooting happens. Right. And, uh, you know, I, I, I recognize a significant stride that we made as a multi-faith community. Hmm. And then, again, the very personal relationships that were developed. So right. I, I, that's a, that to me, like with Reverend Michael Waters at the time, uh, that was, he was an AME pastor. He was an AME pastor, right? right? right. And so mm-hmm. he would say that the first people that reached out to him were the Muslims. Yes. And so that's that's sort of, it was a, a, a turning point for him. And I remember right. I was standing next to Michael and someone walked up and uh, an elder lady from his community and said, you two need to work together more often. Uh, <laughs> so I, we, we look at that as a prophetic moment, Lovely. right? And, and right. you know. Uh, so sometimes it's, it's a very specific community that's targeted, but it's about how we all show up for that community. Right. And then moving beyond the moment and mm-hmm. talking with one another, um, forming relationship beyond the moment so that when the next crisis happens, that might be the next time that the public sees us in, you know, together in yes. public, but there's been a lot that's happened between those two mm-hmm. incidents. Now, the Dallas police shooting definitely marked a turning moment for us. Mm-hmm. It was, uh, you know, I, I look back at that, and, and it's, it's crazy to think, you know, I was sharing with some people, July 7th passed now, three yes. years ago, and, and mm-hmm. without much of a, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a, a presence in our media or, or right. in our conversations, right? Most people forgot about the anniversary already yeah. of the July 7th shootings. Um, now, for me, uh, Alton Sterling was murdered in Louisiana. Yes. And the, the irony of it <laughs> is that uh, Alton Sterling was murdered about 50 to 100 feet from my mother's grave. Oh, my word. Yeah, so right next to that gas station across the street, mm-hmm. that's the graveyard yes. in Baton Rouge, and my mom is buried there. And, and let's just pause to say, Alton Sterling's death gave rise to the march yes. in Dallas, yes. uh, which was uh, you know, in reaction to not just Alton Sterling, but of course, uh, Philandro Castro yes. and uh, and and uh, Michael Brown and uh, others yeah. that uh, were that particular summer was oh, yeah. a, just a, a violent summer and so this march was happening and the 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 shooter as uh, you know to make no excuses for him in his mind this was retaliation for. Correct. Um, these these police uh, I- events. Yeah, and so uh, I, you know, Philando Castile happened in the same frame as Alton Sterling, and it was there was already a buildup of the Black right. Lives Matter movement right. here in Dallas and around the country. And so, I have never been to a march quite like that one, where I saw the <sighs> there was a despair in the eyes of black mothers at that march mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that I had not seen before. Right, and it hurt. Yeah. You know, and so we marched, we spoke, we marched, we, there was a lot of anger and it was raw emotion. Mm-hmm. Now, when we finished that march and we were walking away, uh, people tend to forget that, and, and it's intentionally framed that the shooter uh, was from, you know, sort of from the protest and yes. almost as if he took it, you know, he got in the mood of the protest yeah. and decided, let me go ahead and shoot Completely a few Completely wrong. He was planning this before the protest. Right. And in fact, waited until the conclusion of the protest, mm-hmm. and then started to target the cops. Now, when the shooting happened, we thought we were being targeted. Right. Bullets right. are raining down. Everyone's right. hitting the ground. Right. You know, we can't tell who was shot and who wasn't. Right. I mean, bullets are raining down just mm-hmm. all sure. over. It seems like you you would think that there were seven people shooting at the yes. time, right? I mean, that's how it felt at least mm-hmm. in the moment. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I, I at that moment thought that I was about to be killed. Mm-hmm. It's my first time running away from bullets in that yeah. sense. And so we're running and um, I see Reverend Waters, Michael, and 
he looks for Ulysse, his wife, and you know, we're a bunch of us jump in a car and we go to his church that night. Mm-hmm. Um, first, we actually went to the Omni, where there were, we understand the shooter went at some point too. Mm-hmm. So we tried to collect people in the Omni mm-hmm. in a ballroom, mm-hmm. and then eventually we ended up at his church, at right. the Tabernacle, right. and uh, it was extremely emotional. We right. prayed, we. Mm-hmm cried we, we we then had to put together you know that's when we start reaching out to everyone to see what we're doing and you know as it started to become known that this was a man that targeted the police officers and that this is what was happening right. immediately you know we just went from running away from a shooting and we're planning a vigil right and planning the press conference the vigil right. in Thanksgiving Square for just a few hours later Wow! Amazing. and so you know that whole time mm-hmm. was is really a blur but I did you know I think that you know, we we got closer as a result of that. Mm. And when President Obama and then President Bush and, you know, uh, Vice President Biden and Nancy Pelosi and Ted Cruz and, you know, John Cornyn, it was all this coming together and it was like, what's happening here? A lot of people don't know that that service that took place where the presidents attended, I I was invited to pray. I mean, we were just told it was just a service for the fallen. Right. And, you know, I think it was, uh, <laughs> then, then I got the program and I saw President Bush's name and President Obama's and I'm like, what's happening here, right? Yes, so it was right, an interesting right. turn of events. And, and, and I definitely think that put Faith Forward Dallas literally front and center. Yes. And um, a lot of people then came to know us that way. Muslim ban happened and uh, more, more terrorist attacks happened and more right. mass shootings and right. Parkland happened. It's just, it's nonstop. Jordan Edwards happened. When Jordan yes. Edwards was killed. Yes. That was, I mean, it was like taking your own child. It, it felt like right. my own child had been killed. I mean, right. seeing in Jordan's dad and, and Jordan's father, Odell, mm-hmm. what I would, the way I look at my children and knowing, you know, just seeing what that family went through, that it was, it was like a piece of us was ripped away and just the and, and I think, you know, we, we, we should stop at least and say the, the police officer that, that killed him was convicted of murder, and that, that is, you know, a helpful act of justice it's something we did we often did not see take place in these cases but he was simply a kid in a car yeah he was doing nothing yeah uh, yeah and and he, you know the officer was given 15 years well so true taking 50 it's true. better than what would happen before right. i mean it was a, a, a positive but, but nonetheless it was a it was it was a minimum sentence oh, yeah. you might say yeah. yeah okay and then both them john happens yes let's hold both them john until we come back from the sure. break okay Thank, thanks for much. Uh, we, we'll we'll talk about both of John and some other social justice matters we work on together. Okay. Thank you for continuing to tune in to Good God. This program is made possible by the contributions of friends of the program, and we are delighted that they continue to support it so generously, so that we don't have to ask for additional support every episode. I'm sure you're glad about that too. If you'd like to know where else you can tune in to find Good God, whether in a video format or audio, or even to get a transcript of the program, go to www.goodgodproject.com. That's our website, and it's the best place to go to receive an archive of all the previous episodes and to get a new one each week if you'd like. Thanks again for your support. Welcome back to Good God with Omar Sullivan. And Omar, we were just talking about some of the 
horrific events that have taken place in Dallas over the past few years. And uh, we named Jordan Edwards and the shooting of the Dallas police officers and uh, some of these things. But we, we also had this terrible uh, occurrence of uh, a young man from St. Lucia who was uh, working here uh, and, and, and was shot in his own apartment. His name was Botham Jean. And it was um, a shock to everyone, I think, uh, yeah. that such a thing could happen. What are your reflections on the aftermath of that? Well, it's still ongoing. Yeah. And, um, you know, it, it, we saw the framing. You know, one thing, I, I went, when, not to, not to d divert, but when Stefan Clark was murdered in Sacramento, I had the opportunity to go up there and do the preparation of his body and mm -hmm. pray on him. And, and um, you know, and, and I wrote a paper, or I, I did a eulogy and I spoke about that and I said, you know, one of the things that happens with young black men in America is that after they're killed, mm -hmm. they are then assassinated again with the character assassinations right. that take place in the media. Right. The framing right. of it immediately mm -hmm. is somehow to cast the victim as, well, not having been that deserving of life in yes. the first place. Yes. So you shouldn't feel too bad because right. this was just a, mm -hmm. you know, a violent black man that was prone to be a thug anyway. Yes. And so that, that missed that, that assassination of character. And um, Botham's mom, you know, said that after his death, it was more painful to see the characterization of him in the media. Right than it was to even get the call of his assassination in the first place. Yeah. Because they, you know, what... Kill him twice. Kill him twice. Kill him while he's dead, right? They search his apartment. They're trying to find anything to make him look like the aggressor. Yes. He was sitting on his couch in his apartment. Right. Watching a officer, football game. Watching a football game when right. a white officer walks in his home and kills him. Right. There is nothing. I mean, there's absolutely nothing that could, that could even in the wildest of imagination, justify that. Right. And so... Uh, you know, I, I think that reflecting on that, it was important for you, and I think that there was a great reaction to what you did, mm -hmm. which was you brought that message to a white church, mm -hmm. and white churches, unfortunately, have been hesitant yes. to speak about crimes against communities of color right. and other faith communities right. and marginalized communities in general. So right. it was important for you to sort of uh, call that out, that complacency out, mm -hmm. that, hey, look, you know, this is, this is the reality of what it's like right. to be a black man in America, that you can't even feel safe right. on your couch in your apartment. And Well, you know, this, this bound us together even more deeply because, I, I think, of, of that uh, taking place, and you, you expressed tremendous gratitude for that moment in, in the sermon following that uh, here at Wilshire. Um, but I, I think I, I want to reflect upon that just a little bit and say that before becoming involved together and knowing one another and working together in the community, uh, it, it would have been easier to not say anything. To have gotten to know one another and to, to have a proximity to pain and to stand beside one another uh, over time yes. and to listen to one another made it, made it morally impossible to be a responsible person and a religious leader and not to speak. Right. And, and I think it's really important to recognize that we, when we ask people to speak prophetically, to, to call for justice, to, to have human sympathy and to you know, stand in the breach, uh, that's not gonna happen if you're never involved mm. in anybody else's lives. And so yes. the generosity of being uh, you're being uh, available to me and for our kind of community that we've developed as faith leaders has 
has has emboldened me and created more opportunity, I think, for us to to, to make a difference, not only in our relationships, but in our own ex- communities. Yes, and, and uh, I think, you know, when, you know, the, there was, I gave this invocation in Congress. Right, right. And, um, you know, I, I, every single time, every Muslim, every Muslim voice, every Palestinian voice in influential space in America can expect a character assassination after Incredible. any time they're in a high-profile space. I mean, it's yeah. the the idea is to eliminate our voices from those spaces. And sadly, because most people's worldviews are colored almost exclusively by what they read online, then yes. that means bots and hate agendas, multimillion-dollar hate agendas, and algorithms can completely characterize, right. mischaracterize, and, and, and color people's worldviews in a way that keeps us split from one another. And when I gave that invocation, I, I was expecting, because every time I do anything high profile, there's a bunch of hate articles that come. Uh, but it was clearly a deploy strategy. I mean, this was clearly sort of built up for my next high profile uh, presence. And I mean, when you talk about 80 articles in one day, it's like, wow. uh, that's not organic. That, no, that, was, that was pre-planned. Yes. Everything I've ever said in my life, right. combed, mischaracterized to portray me as a right. villain. Right. And to make people, to, you know, the idea is to make Muslims, and again, and I'll say this, Palestinians are people that are pro-Palestinian. I mean, it was done with Angela Davis, right, <laughs> of all people, right. you know, had a right. award rescinded because of her support for, right. for the Palestinian right. people, and Mark Lamont Hill, and, mm-hmm. and you know, other people, but it's to, it's, to, it's to make them too toxic to touch. Yes. That you can't touch those people anymore. Mm-hmm. And Muslims that have been in you know the subject of those character assassinations in different parts of the country, they expressed amazement at how uh, Congresswoman Johnson, Congressman Allred, immediately issued statements of my support. The local press, yes, Faith Forward Dallas, and then you in particular, your sermon. I don't remember what you said except <laughs> for he's my friend. Right, Omar is my friend. Right. When I'm in a low point, that meant the world to me. Nice to have you just say he's my friend. Right was a reminder that we're not going to let online hate yes. groups right. poison our relationships on site that we've built for all these years. Yes. Not Muslims and Jews. No. So Rabbi Ka- Nancy Kasten immediately mm-hmm. reached out in love. Rabbi David right. Stern, Rabbi Andrew Paley, right. Rabbi Ilana Zeleny. I mean, they all reached out. We sat together. We talked through these things. And we said, no, we're not going to fall for this. We will not fall for this. We can't fall for this. Right. And I told them, you know, they wanted to do all sorts of things too. And I said, listen, I, I could care less about the online mm-hmm. crazy world of social media where the bright right. parts of the world will thrive. Yes, right, right. <laughs> let those pools of, 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 of slander and hate, right. uh, let them persist in that. Yes. What's important to me is this. Good. And so well, that's this what you've meant got. the world. You've <laughs> got it. And, and I know I have, have it from you as well. Absolutely. Um, now, you know, I think this is something that people need to learn, though, is something that doesn't just happen between faith leaders. If we're going to heal our land, if we're going to have the kind of country going forward uh, that will uh, live up to its ideals, uh, practice religious liberty, include people of honest and earnest faith uh, who are coming from different places but who have not only the right but the responsibility to speak in the public square. If we're going to do that, then we have to defend one another 
uh, stand up for one another yes. in moments like these, and not just ministers, not clergy, faith leaders, but also neighbors, uh, yes. people who live in our communities. Uh, you know, one of the things I would say to people who say, well, how can we do something? Well, talk to a Muslim, yeah. talk to a Christian, talk to a Jew. In moments like these, when things are happening to groups of people or to individuals you know, pick up the phone, uh, have a cup of coffee, uh, sit in the living room, pray together, uh, reach out and, and, and talk with one another, and make, make an awkward gesture if it has to be awkward to begin with, but initiate some sense of relationship. Uh, that will heal those bonds, and I think we can all do something about that. Oh yeah, and, and yeah. look, I mean, I, I take the onus on myself mm -hmm. that I mean, at the end of the day, um, if we are not doing enough to build, yes, then we cannot be upset with those who destroy. Ah, good. Uh, because they they're going to do what they're going to do. Good. Those agendas need polarization to yes. thrive. Right. If we're not combating polarization mm -hmm. with our everyday being. Right. with the way that our communities are taught to function right. and leading by example with that, then we can't blame, right. you know, the online hate groups. We right. have to we have to show what on-site love looks like and yes. what it looks like to build that relationship. And so Good. we're going to have disagreements. We are, we are, you know, as Faith Forward Dallas, our commitment to one another was come to the table in the fullness of yourself. Yes. Come with your full faith tradition. You will not be asked to compromise anything of your faith tradition. Now shine with your faith tradition. Show how your faith tradition looks like in the public square. Show how it's, yes. show how that makes you more committed right. to a better life, not just for every member of your faith community, but every member of your community. Show how your commitment to your tradition means a greater commitment to humanity. Show how you're willing to bring about harmony and love with that. Exactly, and, and I think this is something that both Faith Forward Dallas and Faith Commons, the organization that sponsors uh, Good God, uh, and incidentally, I think you know that Rabbi Nancy Kasten yes. has uh, come on as our chief relationship officer. We, we say the same thing, and that is when, when we address things in the public square together, we, we want every person to draw upon their own religious tradition, yes. not to water it down, to just try to find the lowest common denominator, not to act like we're speaking at the United Nations right. where we're just talking about humanitarian concerns. We want to get at our common life through our particular faith tradition yes. so that we can actually learn from one another and learn to respect our faith traditions as well uh, because they become a kind of mirror to us of our own. Uh, every time you speak about uh, something from your faith tradition, I immediately go and reflect upon my own and mm. ask, how is, how is that similar or different? How is it an echo of the one God's desire for us to understand in, in different ways? And so uh, it's, it's really a misconception I think a lot of people have that if you start you know, engaging in these kind of interfaith or multi-faith uh, settings, that you necessarily have to sort of let go of some of the particularism of your faith. Yes. No, that, that's, that's really not what we're doing at all. We're holding our faith and we're sharing it in a way that is respectful, and we help to, to learn from each other. And, and I think that the most important thing there is if we could do that with our creed, yes. if we can love each other despite having differences in how right. we conceive of our purpose of life, in turn, and right. at least in a theological sense, if we can yes. disagree across 
love each other despite differences in religious scripture and creed, yes. then why not with our political differences? Exactly. Why not with our social differences? Why not with everything else, right? right. That should be able, if we can figure it out, Yes. then this, polar, this polarized society can figure it out. And so mm -hmm. religious leaders, and, and I did write, it, it actually ran concurrently after the, the, the invocation. I wrote my column in the Dallas Morning News. Yes about the attacks on me yes. and just kind of contextualizing why now and why is this really mm -hmm. happening and what can we take from it. Mm -hmm. And I already had a column going out with the Dallas Morning News called Faith Leaders Can Teach Americans How to Talk to Each Other Again. Ah, interesting. So w they actually both went out on the same, get same day together. Yeah. And the idea was, I don't just want us as clergy people, as, as religious leaders to become you know, the religious left, i.e. the political left with collars. Yes, right, right. Just as many on the religious right have just become the political right with collars yes. and validating a lot of what, no, mm -hmm. we, we can teach people how to talk. Yes. We can teach people how to, to build relationship. Mm -hmm. And then if they build those relationships in accordance with issues that are important to all of us, mm -hmm. and then it'll teach them how to be more civil with one another and pursuing justice and pursuing yes. consensus on other issues as well. Good. So you build enough of a, of, of a platform and a foundation that you can build on what you're, what you're, what you're already building. And just right. keep on building and building and building. So I think that we can teach society, uh, even if they identify with no faith at all, we can teach an atheist and an agnostic and you know someone from any any faith background how to talk and how to build with one another and love one another despite differences that they might have. Yeah, I, I think it's an interesting point. I, I recently did a um, an evening uh, sponsored by St. Michael and All Angels Episcopal Church uh, called um, the subject was um, uh, Christians and Violence. And it was at uh, Trinity Hall. It was at what they call pub theology, you know. So um, anyway, I was I was doing this, and I was uh, addressing, you know, how Christians deal with violence and our history of that, and where we should be uh, in this respect. And afterward, an atheist couple came up to me and said something like, um, "You know, um, I don't." I, didn't expect to agree with you, you know, <laughs> um, but we found common cause uh, yeah. because uh, though we start from different places, we, we want to end with how do we create a more just and peaceful society yes. that is respectful and that honors uh, the dignity of every human life, uh, whether it, uh, however it is conceived to have come about. Uh, and uh, so, Omar, thank you for your continuing oh, work you. and I your partnership it. in this. Thank you, thank thank you so for much. being on Good God. Uh, it's just thank a delight. You. And thank you. I'm absolutely. grateful for you in all I sorts of ways. I appreciate you for all that you do. Thank you thank so you much. Thank you for having me, and I hope to be back well, we'll many times in the future. Terrific. Let's talk about more. Thank all you. All right, great. Good God is created by Dr. George Mason, produced and directed by Jim White. Guest coordination and social media by Upward Strategy Group. Good God, Conversations with George Mason is the podcast devoted to bringing you ideas about God and faith and the common good. All material copyright 2019 by Faith Commons.